Our latest episode of Soundtracking has been, well, some time in the making. So busy is the composer in question, but boy, was it worth the wait. Max Richter is a name that's come up on numerous occasions on our film music podcast with Joe Wright, Denis Villeneuve, Jan Demange and John Ridley amongst those who've either enlisted his services or used his original compositions in their work. So we were truly humbled when Max agreed to join us on stage at London's BFI for one of our live events recorded in front of an audience. Now, though we barely scratched the surface of his extraordinary back catalogue in the hour or so that we had with him, we still covered a lot of ground, including his contributions to Mary Queen of Scots, White Boy Wick, Black Mirror and Arrival. As ever, you'll hear examples of Max's work on all of these projects, but we begin with a cue entitled What Had They Done? from Max's very first score, Waltz with Bashir. Hi everybody, how are you? Um, thank you so much for being here and joining us um, for our latest soundtracking live, I guess. Um, someone just said, is it, is it live? I was like, well, we're chatting live, but we will kind of edit things into the podcast, which we'll, um, we'll put up um, over the coming weeks. But this is a real kind of dream come true for me, to be honest, for, on many levels in terms of how Max's music has influenced so many filmmakers, both in terms of the way that he scored music and the way that his music has been used in film. So to have him here is a real, real dream. So please put your hands together and welcome Mr. Max Richter. Have a seat, sir. Okay. Thanks for being here. Pleasure. Sit back, relax. Mm. Um, I'm going to make apologies now if any of the technological side of things goes wrong. Last time, there was a few holiday pictures popped up. Um, so just to, it's my fault. I, I try my hardest to put these things together. But I, I just want to start by asking for you, when the opportunity to marry your music with moving image came up what was the first opportunity that presented itself to you and, and how did you feel about that opportunity i think it starts with uh, waltz with bashir i 
didn't train as a film composer. You know, I'm just like a composer, composer. So I, I sort of wasn't thinking in those terms. Yeah. I was making records. And uh, I, I, I got this call from Ari Folman. Um, it was a sort of a cold call and slightly weird too because it was a kind of um, I've been you know holed up on, on this uh, in the beach you know on, in this shack for three days I've written this film I was listening to the Blue Notebooks on repeat for three days so now you have to score the film and I was like oh you know okay <laughs> um, so he sent me a kind of little animatic demo like 90 seconds and I thought it was amazing um, so we met and we talked and, you know, it was just kind of a wonderful, exciting opportunity. But prior to that, in terms of the music that you'd, you'd created, whether that be with your, your solo records or, mm. or working with other people or, or whatever those, those forms took, there's always story attached to them. Yeah. There's always inspiration and I imagine for you there's vision. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought of music as really a storytelling language. It's a way of talking and a way to convey things we can't easily convey with words. Um, and music language is, uh, is a sort of paradox, isn't it? Mm. Because it feels very specific in a way, but there maybe isn't actually really any information there. You know, language is about, kind of about information, but it sort of isn't like that. You know, it's, it's got this sort of mysterious quality you're being spoken to, but you couldn't really say what it is yeah. and I love that about music and the way I think as well that what your reaction to it one day is could be very different the next day as well it has yeah. this almost transformative kind yeah. of emotional reaction to it in a way as well it's a nice way to kind of measure yourself isn't it mm -hmm. to kind of find out who you are moment by moment to return to things yeah you know it's a little like returning to a novel and finding the book to be completely different in fact, the book is the same, you know, and you're just yeah. completely different. Yeah. So, and I think music can do that too. How did your relationship with music start in terms of what age were you when you started playing and what were you playing? Mm. Well, I, I always had music sort of going around in my head from kind of as long as I can remember, mm -hmm. really. So I was a tiny child. I was basically composing as a tiny child, but without really knowing what it was. Yeah. You know, it was almost like... You know, I had my sort of toys and bits and, you know, stuff I was doing. And I'm talking like three, four years old, tiny. And one of those sort of toys was the piece of music I happened to be like working on. You know, and one day I would, I would have this tune, I'd sort of change it in my head and I'd put it away. And next day I'd pick it up again, you know, wow. mentally. Yeah. And I just thought that was normal. Um, I thought everyone was doing that. But then obviously later on, I realized that was maybe not that usual. So I, I just had this sort of ongoing sort of passionate involvement with music and forming music, forming sound, right from the beginning, really. I love that notion of you almost creating your own soundtrack to playing with your toys. Yeah, it was sort of yeah. like that. It was just like having a friend. And for a lot of people, you know, they have mentors and they have people that are, are their, their, their kind of gateway into certain things. Yeah. And I love the fact that yours was your milkman. The milkman, yeah. It's a great story. <laughs> well, yeah, it's... Um, it was kind of amazing, and I feel super lucky about this, actually, because this is, so this is in my early teens, and I'm, you know, sort of practicing the piano, Mozart, Beethoven. I didn't know any new music, or the new music I knew I, was kind of like Stravinsky, so it's sort of old new music. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, and I was living in Bedford, which was not exactly a cultural hotspot. So I didn't really have a chance to encounter, you know, contemporary music, new things, other kinds of languages. And the milkman uh, who delivered the milk to our house was an artist. 
um, because at that time, you know, you could be a milkman, get the milk delivered, and then do your art the rest of the day. It's a perfect job. It's like a post deal, you know. So he decided, he sort of took me on as a project and started delivering experimental music with the milk Amazing. on vinyl. That's so it'd be like the milk, the latest Philip Glass. Or, you know, <laughs> it's just amazing. So I, I got this kind of education via him. And um, yeah, it was fantastic because there was no way to encounter that stuff yeah. at that time. Do you know what happened to the milk? I actually have never managed to get in touch with him. So. Someone needs to dig yeah, out him. Right? Find yeah. him. Yeah, reunite you two. Exactly. See if he's got any new... Well, yeah. I mean, wouldn't got... it be amazing if, if he had your music now? Wouldn't that be amazing if, if he had all your vinyl? That it would be amazing. I love those sorts of full circles. Mm. So yeah, that would yeah. And um, let's talk about what's with Bashir, which is you mentioned earlier, which is your first kind of step into marrying your music with visual images and this yeah. wonderful phone call you got out the blue. Was it a scary prospect? Was it an exciting prospect? Kind of going, okay, how do I start? Where do I start? And how did you start? No, I mean, I, I was sort of fortunate in that I had no idea how to do it. <laughs> so I, I just kind of. I just thought, well, I, I don't know how this works at all. So I, I'm just going to, you know, find my way. And Harry and I talked a fair bit. And I read this, you know, I read the script. Mm. They had done some very rough drawings. Um, and I decided I was just going to write a bunch of music, which I felt connected to the overall world. And um, I did that. I, I, you know, spent a bit of time just writing a bunch of material. And kind of most of it, honestly, is in the film. Uh, one way and another. Yeah, I mean, it was um, quite a kind of a seamless process with Harry. I guess also helped by the fact that, you know, with animation, you can develop things over a lengthy period, which is great. Yeah. Um, because with, you know, live action features, it's very compressed because the edit is fast. But, you know, they were drawing that film for probably two years. Wow. Um, because, it, I mean, the film itself is really a labor of love. I mean, they had no money. Ari mortgaged his house and all sorts to get the thing made. Yeah, so, I mean, it was it was a very nice kind of conversational sort of process with him. Yeah, let's take a look at a scene from the film. אישה עם בועז התקיימה בחורף 2006. באותו הלילה, בפעם הראשונה אחרי יותר מ-20 שנה, חטפתי פלאש בכנוראים ממלחמת לבנון. לא סתם מלבנון, ממערב ביירות. לא סתם מביירות, מהלילה של הטבח במחנות הפליטים, סברה ושתילה.
such amazing animation in, amazing, in that right? film as well. Was uh, and with it, that kind of first step into it, were you did you connect with the story, the characters, and then I guess kind of forming how did you form those kind of themes? I guess around yes. the, the story and the themes of the narrative, really. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing that that made me really want to be involved with the film is the fact that it had a a kind of socio-political dimension mm. and I'm very interested in you know creativity being part of that conversation in culture generally you know that it should have a a kind of a functional aspect in society so so that spoke to me very strongly and then you know the themes of the film itself were sort of almost perfect for me in the sense that it deals with a kind of very personal a sort of act of emotional recovery. The subject matter of the film is to do with uh, kind of investigating Ari's own past and trying to discover whether his memories are actually sort of true. Um, and in terms of how that affected the music, this piece of music we've just heard, The Haunted Ocean, I wanted to try and reflect those themes in the actual, the way the music itself was made in its atoms. So um, that music tries to uh, sort of embody a lot of uh, kind of instability, if you like. So it's in seven. Uh, the harmonic language is, it feels familiar, but it's, it's actually turned sort of upside down. So it's kind of wrong but right. And the, the melodic structure is built on this thing called the chain of suspensions is a baroque thing you know from like Paco Belcanon you know we've all heard that sort of falling line well that there's a chain of suspensions which is sort of it's basically playing backwards so again we sort of recognize it but we don't recognize it so we think oh, I know that sound but it, there's something wrong with it you know so it's sort of that's what that music is is doing um, it's trying to sort of be a kind of false memory And it's a theme that you've you've worked on for yourself as well in terms of that that kind of finding that synergy between fantasy, imagination, <clears throat> excuse me, and and 
which part of your dreams are real. That's the kind of thing yeah. that you're really interested in. It, I, it completely. I mean, I think we're storytelling creatures, you know, whether it's uh, sort of a conscious act of creativity or whether it's to do with, you know, how we regard our own lives. You know, we sort of, we kind of make a narrative for ourselves of, you know, our world, who we are. Um, and those are, I think, are fascinating choices. When you started working on this, do you, are you sitting down at the piano and thinking of few melodies or how, how where, do, where do you start what do you use to start with it really varies what the project is you mm -hmm. know I mean some things live very naturally you know in a computer or in the synthesizers or in the studio a lot of this was just on a piece you know piece of paper sitting at a table so it, it, it really varies obviously something very electronic there's sort of not a lot of point writing it down because you kind of can't you know you yeah. have to just make it so yeah it just depends are you quite um, regimented in terms of when you're, you know, when you have a project? Do you, do you, are you Monday to Friday, nine to five? How do you, how do you work like that? Or are you kind of, time has um, no significance when it comes to, you know, you're, you're working on? I, I mean, I, I used to be very nocturnal. Okay. Um, when we had little kids, I would, I would basically sort of, I'm not sure how I managed it really. Um, <laughs> we, I would sort of put them to bed and then I would go to work. Yeah. And then I'd sort of get up when they got up, so I don't really know when I was sleeping. But I basically, my working day used to be a sort of eight or nine o'clock at night to about sort of three o'clock. That was my sort of time. Yeah. And there's something quite special about that time, you know, because it's not the fact that the phone doesn't ring, it's that you know it's not going to ring, you know, which is like yeah. really different. <laughs> so you just kind of, you know, it's a good dream state. Did sleep album come out of that whole kind of thing then of the, the uh, want for eight and a half hours? That's right. Yeah, it's like yeah. a wishful. Where film. did that go? That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess all in a way, all creative works are sort of they are wish fulfillments, and they're they're sort of propositions for, you know, if only the world was like this. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, there's something very sort of human about that, isn't it? You yeah. Know, kind of if only. Yeah. That's a lot of what creativity is <laughs> about. I think. Yeah. From, from Waltz with Bashir then in terms of moving on to this continual flow and also balancing out and deciding what you want to do, whether it's, you know, you do so many different types of things, whether mm. it's your own albums or it's opera or it's ballet or it's reworking yeah. Vivaldi or whether it's a TV show or a film and stuff. And I guess that working on that film then, you know, it was kind of like, well, I'm doing this now as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, I think... I, I sort of feel like everything feeds everything. Yeah. And it, I think it's also, it feels natural for me to do a lot of different things because, um, I, I, you know, I just sort of love lots of different things. You know, I mean, I love cinema. I love stories and, you know, I love um, listening to records and being involved with that. Mm. And it just seems, um, it just feels kind of natural for me to just kind of pursue my enthusiasms. What were the films or the, the composers that, resonated with you growing up as a film fan yeah i mean i loved well i mean so much <laughs> is there anything that, that that kind of was an inspiration in terms of when you did start working on yeah i mean i guess i i always sort of loved uh the composers who were working in film music but also doing other things so like um ennio morricone mm -hmm. nino rota these sorts of composers who had a kind of a broad universe, you know, who were coming maybe from concert music, experimental music, and then working in cinema and bringing that sort of a sensibility in. So those were the kind of, I guess, my starting points. Mm. 
Is it important for you as well to the live thing is a big part of what you do? You just did a, a show in France this week, yeah. and just announced dates in America as well mm. later on this year. Is that a really important part of of what you do to get out and play live in front of an audience? Well, I guess there's something really fundamental about live performance. Mm. Um, I mean, that's you know the original musical condition, right? I mean, it's just somebody playing for someone else, and it's a real-time laboratory. You know, you're figuring out what's happening to that piece in that moment with those people. It's amazing. It's quite amazing, and I, I, I would miss that if I didn't do it at all. Yeah. What was the next film you worked on after Waltz of Bashir? I'm not even sure. I think it was a film called Die Fremde, which is a German film made by Feo Aladag about basically an honor killing. Um, and it's very concerned with kind of sort of gender politics mm -hmm. uh, within that community and very powerful, actually. with a really incredible diverse set of, of directors across world cinema really as well has that been a conscious thing you know i just do the things i fall in love with honestly it's uh, it's it's really as simple as that and i mean i think it's true that i i you know i'm very much drawn to storytelling which has a this kind of social political dimension you know yeah. which is kind of about how we live in the world mm -hmm. um because i think that's i you know i think creative work can be a big you know, sort of a part of that conversation in society and that, you know. Is there also an appeal for working with someone who's going to challenge you, who's going to not make life difficult for yeah. you, but who's going to kind of maybe push you outside your, your comfort zone or, or, or t test you in certain areas? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, I think every project does that actually in a way, you know, because, I mean, otherwise you're probably not doing it right unless it's doing that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, part of working on a, a, a film is trying to discover the world of that film and trying to discover the, the musical language which feels inevitable to that world. You have to be ready to kind of throw away all your ideas in order to discover that. Um, and that's some, there's something very refreshing about that, actually. Mm. And I guess it's, it's a different collaborative process than other things that you work on because you know you are one part of this big jigsaw yeah, completely it's yeah i mean a, a film score is not a symphony <laughs> at all <laughs> it's definitely not um yeah it's i mean you're you know the music is part of a sort of bigger storytelling composite structure you know sometimes it can step forward and be quite powerful within the picture but you know a lot of the time it's doing things uh, you know, you're bringing something to the table which maybe the editing or the acting is sort of asking for. Mm -hmm. And it's about 
trying to discover the sort of natural, yeah, the sort of properties of the film that the music can support in, a, in an interesting way. I've selfishly picked some of my favourite films that you've, you've worked on. Um, and I'd really like to talk about Miss Sloan. Sure. Which I, I love this film. And I, yeah. I kind of, we were talking earlier and we, we were both saying we just wish it had done more. Yeah. In kind yeah. Of, it came out in the States when the elections were on. It was just kind yeah. of bad timing, really. But so the day of the election. Yeah. Which is probably yeah. not ideal. Not ideal at all. <laughs> um, but John Madden, who we'll hear from in just a second, um, in fact, talking about you because he's been on the podcast. But, but what do you remember about meeting John and first being introduced to this, this story and this project? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I came on this fairly late. Um, they, they had a, you know, a fairly decent cut already. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for you? Would you prefer um, it It's funny. I mean, by instinct, you'd say it's a bad thing, mm -hmm. but because you feel like you want more time in that world. But actually, you know, pressure's good as well, you know, because it, it makes you make decisions. How do you use temp score as well? Because I know that that can be a bugbear for There was... Yes, there was a fair bit of temp in there, yes. Was it yours? Some of it was mine, yeah. That's a good sign. Yeah. Well, in a way it's good, in a way it's bad. Okay, yeah. Because, you know, I've already written that. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know. <laughs> Do something a bit like what you've already Just done. Just the same, yeah. but a little yeah. different. Um, yeah, so John is, um, I mean, he's a fantastic uh, collaborator. Super bright, amazing talker, mm. and very sort of eloquent and, and um, you know, full of ideas. It was just a really fun process working with him. And, um, I mean, the film is great. Uh, and uh, Jessica Chastain is, is amazing in it. And again, you know, the, the subject matter has this kind of socio-political dimension, which I, you know, I really supported and I was very, you know, it was a big part of my, my reason for taking the film because I, I just thought it was a, you know, a really good and uh, important story. When you do come in at that point where there's a kind of rough cut there and you are able to see the performances... Mm. Do those influence you at all? Yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, once there's an image, then you're, you know, you just want to sort of dive into that image and just be super attentive to what's going on in there um, because that's what's telling you what it needs. You might feel slightly uncomfortable for the next minute or so. This is um, what John Madden had to say about working with you on Miss Sloan. such an unusual piece this to to score because yeah. it's an incredibly verbal film um we shouldn't put people off i mean it's a thriller and uh, i like the challenge anyway of making a sort of verbal action piece verbal <laughs> verbal thriller but it, but it you know there's there's a lot of very intelligent talking going on and not therefore an easy film to see where the musical spaces exist mm -hmm. and 
Max's particular kind of uh, uh, vocabulary, I suppose, as a composer suits this movie so incredibly yeah. well. You know, the electronica and the way he works with pulses. The subtleties that he has. Incredible subtleties. And also a sort of extraordinarily expansive uh, emotional dimension too, which is so much in the film, but you don't notice it initially because it's really what's happening to her and what's happening to this tiny constricted heart she has and how it opens up in the course of the film. You know, he, he's he's very, very smart and reads a film beautifully um, and he was fantastic to work with him. I'm I'm so it's very thrilling that, uh, as a piece of music too as well the the way the way it's scored. He's a very nice man. He is a nice He's man. He's a nice man. It's so easy to talk to as he well. Is, great. It, it's great as well. And there's I think that's kind of across the board with your with your score work is that they are feel like full pieces of music in themselves and that you can listen to them as you know oh, that's as, great. as albums. That's I, great. I think as well. It's not you know, it's not just for parts of the film. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the sort of, I was talking about before, the sort of composer-composer bit of my brain. Because obviously the music has to live within the film and that's its primary purpose. Mm. But, you know, I, I still want it to feel musically satisfying. Mm -hmm. That's the sort of dream, really, trying to get those two things to coexist. Um, we're going to play a little clip from, from Miss Laura. This is great because there is a dialogue in, in this scene, but the music is... They are, and it's as important, you know, you kind of can't imagine it not being there, sort of thing. Right. So, uh, let's have a look at this. Lobbying is about foresight. About anticipating your opponent's moves and devising countermeasures. The winner plots one step ahead of the opposition and plays her trump card just after they play theirs. You better not be saying that when you're in there. It's about making sure you surprise them. And they don't surprise you. I'm going to ask you again. Miss Sloan, could you please describe the nature of your work? On the advice of counsel, I respectfully decline to answer your question based on my rights under the Fifth Amendment to the United States Constitution. When you're not taking the oath of confirming details, those words in that order are all you're going to say. This would be a whole lot easier if I could just shout fifth. They want you behind bars. You make one statement, you correct one nefarious allegation, that's it. You wave your right to the fifth and you're compelled to answer everything. They're taking you to the woodshed in front of the national press. They're gonna rile you so bad, they'd make Gandhi want to cut their tongues out. Did you arrange for benefits, such as travel, luxury accommodations, and sports tickets to be furnished to members of Congress at the behest of your clients? Did you arrange for benefits, such as travel, luxury accommodations, and sports Daniel, tickets to be furnished? When I take the stand, you'll see nothing but a granite wall. Oh, so good. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you really must dig out Miss Sloan because it's such a great film. And it, it's that thing, even that's the, the, that kind of start, that pulsation, it's, mm. it's almost like her breath accentuated almost in a way. Yeah, of. well, that, that was one of the things we talked about with her character is that, you know, she is, she is this sort of, you know, hardened, ice-cold political lobbyist who's got all this stuff going on inside her. So we wanted to try and uh, convey that activity, sort of, all her sort of thinking and, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah, her sort of emotional life is sort of ticking away underneath. 
Do you like getting new toys to play with when you... I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things that actually, when I, f- when I was a teenager, I got uh, really excited about electronic music after hearing a Kraftwerk record for the first time. And um, uh, I, I sort of tried to do some research to find out what was making these incredible sounds on this record. Um, synthesizer. So then I sort of went to the library and looked up the word synthesizer, you know, all of this kind of just a process of like weeks and months find out that it, you know, synthesizer costs as much as a house. Um, so I, I started building uh, synthesizers with like soldering iron and bags of components in my bedroom. So I'm, I'm very sort of into all of that sort of uh, creative potential of uh, electronics. So can you make yourself something, if you have a sound in mind for mm. something specific, do you reckon you can go and make that thing that will make that sound for you? Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I probably could, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things about working with electronics, though, is that it's a little different from composing on paper or with the orchestra. Because with the orchestra, you are saying, you know, I want that colour and that orchestration is going to give me that colour using those instruments and in that specific way. With electronics, it's more of a process of discovery, especially with the, you know, with the, the, um, the old uh, analog modular systems, because you're really just sort of turning, you know, turning the knobs. It's almost more like a mining operation into that sound, you know, and then you sort of, you discover things on the way. How do you know what's the right thing to use for each project? You just kind of know. You get it, you know, when you hear a sound mm-hmm. um, and you look at the images and they just blow up, that's, that's when it's right. And do you, are you constantly learning how to play new instruments? I mean, I'm, I'm constantly trying to keep up with all the synths, yeah. I mean, they're like, I mean, that's endless. You can spend your life doing that, you know, <laughs> just sort of needling around. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about um, White Boy Rick oh, next, yeah. which is um, Jan Demange's last film. Yeah. Um, I loved 71, the film that he'd done. Yeah, he's great. That. He's yeah. an amazing Fantastic. director. Yeah. And White Boy Rick is this uh, based on true story. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a great story behind the... Matthew McConaughey plays this this dad and the son is played by this, this kid who... It's the first thing he's ever done. It's a great yeah. shot of the pair of them here, actually. Um, and it's such a great score because it's set in 80s Detroit, mm. so you've got that whole kind of backdrop of the soundscape of that, yeah. not just the music, but the industrialness of yes. it as well. And so I wanted to ask about what the conversations were that you had with Jan about where you would go with this. Yeah, I mean, the big thing, obviously, about the setting is the music of Detroit at that time, you know, the beginnings of that sort of beat-driven electronic thing, you mm. know? super exciting time in music um, and so we knew there were going to be some needle drops of that kind of material and as you say you know the city's got a real uh, sort of acoustic texture of its own which mm. is very powerful and I think visually as well you know the toughness of that sort of architectural that sort of industrial architecture kind of suggests a kind of a color I think so all of those things kind of fed into choices about the sort of language the score would use
It's kind of a tough story, um, but it has um, a strong emotional kind of human component. So I wanted a kind of a polarity in the score between those things. There's a lot of electronic music in the score. It's mostly electronic. But there are a couple of things in there which, which are sort of glimmers of hope, in a way. And those are very tactile, acoustic recordings of real instruments. And they, they feel like a kind of a lifeline for our sort of central character. Um, and they do some of that kind of, um, that sort of storytelling with him. for you to know what needle drops are going to be incorporated into a film in terms of navigating your way with sort sonically of, as well yeah I mean it's good to know because you want to you know obviously you're going sort of in and out of those yeah. so simple things like tempo and key key relationships that's great if you can know that but the thing is with music licensing it's such a kind of um it's a pretty sort of crazy situation, yeah. you know, because they're very expensive buying, and you never really know if they've got the track until they've got the track. And um, so, yeah, it's a sort of best laid plans situation. And we've got a really lovely little clip here, which just kind of, it's a real tension moment in the mm. film, um, but there's a just a, a really kind of beautiful little element of score incorporated into it. And Belle Powley in this film as well is incredible. She oh, incredible, well. yeah. yeah. This boy is 17 years old! Guilty. Ricky! You're number two. Ricky! 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 That kind of the combination of the the score and the the way that the the audio is is kind of muffled and you yeah. feel like you're in his head. That's such it's such a clever yeah kind of marriage of all those different elements. I think of it as well. Yeah, I mean the sound design is. I mean that's the sort of dialogue with sound design between music and sound design mm. is really important. I think to kind of get a sense of where they're going with that and how it's going to. You know, operate. I think that's super important. And is that is that a conversation that you have? Is that do, do you? If possible, yeah. I mean, again, you know, it's it's an industrial process, and there's all sorts of agendas and timelines 
sort of wheels within wheels. Um, but if yeah, it, it's re it's really really useful to try and get a good sense of that. Mary Queen of Scots. Oh, I love this film so much. It's so good. Um, I've got a lovely little piece with you and Josie actually, which I'm going to play first before we okay. talk about it because it's a really nice kind of little in introduction mm. to kind of the conversations that you guys were having. I think one of the key things for me about Mary Queen of Scots was to try to find a way to tell a story that's been told before in a fresh way. Obviously, it's rooted in its period. It's a historical piece, but it has modernity in it. And that gave a wonderful opportunity from a musical standpoint to sort of return to, you know, Renaissance music, which I love, but then also bring it into a kind of contemporary uh, aesthetic. I think that the drumming was a very key motif. As soon as that drum plays at the start of the film, you know where it's going. Yeah. It has that inevitability. It was interesting actually finding those little clues in the musical language which could evoke a kind of periodness without themselves being a kind of a document from that time. I was so pleased with um, actually, you know, that whole first sequence on the beach and, you know, there's, there's this incredible uh, close-up of Sush on the horse. When I found the music for that, I basically was like, we're good here. Yeah. When something um, matches up so well, it sort of catches fire and it opens up millions of other possibilities immediately. And should you murder me, remember you murder your sister and you murder your queen. I like that notion of, of kind of finding your jumping off point, of kind of if you find yeah. your, almost kind of your doorway into it. Is yeah. that the case with most, with most scores? Do you, do you yeah, think? I mean, I think, you know, finding the right language for a film is, is a mix between kind of loads of planning and intellectual kind of conceptualization and, and pure luck. You know, <laughs> it is, because you're, you, you just kind of never know. Um, I mean, you, you know, often I, I, you know, I make a lot of sketches, a lot of ideas and try things, and then suddenly something will start to take on a kind of for gravitational force, and it just kind of, everything just starts to pull together. It, mm. It's a bit like, I think, when, you know, novelists talk about characters and their novels suddenly doing stuff which they weren't expecting. Yeah. It's, you know, musical material can have that sort of quality, you know, suddenly it just wants to sort of be there. Yeah. Um, and that's exciting. And then you, it's a kind of, it starts to feel authentic and inevitable. At what point did Josie bring you in for Mary Queen of Scots? Yeah, quite early. They were sort of in the beginnings of their shoot. Um, they were up in Scotland. Did you go on set? I did not. I mean, I, I've lived in Scotland for a long time, so I, I, I love it up there. But I didn't because I was doing other things. But I did write them a sort of Gaelic war chant for them all to kind of... <laughs> After, Just this, for on set. There's a whole bunch of battles, you know, and there's a lot of, like, roaring and shouting and stuff. Um, so, so that was fun. Um, but, yeah, they, uh, it was quite early on. And then when we got to doing music, they were sort of in the beginnings of their cut, so they just sent me images, mm -hmm. just kind of five minutes of stuff, just to sort of see uh, for colours and textures. And that was great. And I made a few things on that, and then... They cut some more, and I started writing, and it was quite. It took a while, actually. Yeah. Uh, what what resonated with you about about this story? Well, it's a story we know, and we know how it's going to end. <laughs> so, 
Josie took, I think, a new path through that story, um, which was to emphasize the commonality in the, the sort of life situations um, between the two queens. Basically, two women in a world of men. That's it, right? And, um, you know, a whole heap of trouble comes to them, you know, simply because of that dynamic. Yeah. And it was fascinating, you know, to kind of just illuminate this sort of really well, well-known story, uh, but from that perspective. Because, like you said in that little clip, there's 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 a, a, a real element of traditionalness to the to the score, but there is yeah. a mo- mo- modernness to it as well. Yes. And was that an easy thing to kind of find, and and what helped you find that, or how did you yeah. find? Yeah, I mean, there, there's really two things. Well, there's a few sort of elements in the score which kind of speak to the traditional aspect of the story, the historical aspect of the story, and and the fact that we're telling it now. You know, the first and last sounds in the score are women's voices. Um, I wanted that to be kind of the sort of like a kind of amniotic fluid for the rest of the score to kind of float around in. So you've got this kind of, it's like a surface of quite abstract sort of women's voices. That's almost like sort of underpainting, you know, in a sort of Renaissance painting, you get loads of layers, and so that kind of sits at the really in the background. And then the drum is really important in the score. It's the passing of time, it's a kind of foreshadowing of the execution drum, the funeral drum, it's battle. Yeah. So it, it sort of it lights up a whole sort of complex of ideas.
then you have this theme of the queens, which is shared between them. And that repurposes kind of Renaissance music techniques mm. and sort of puts them in a blender with some handle. Um, and, and so you get this kind of processional music, which is based on, uh, which has this repeating bass line, it's ground bass, very Elizabethan kind of uh, technique. So that's this big tune which the Queen's have. Drony, heavy, orchestral sort of sludge. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. Um, so it's those not are about the kind them of, in this film. Though, yeah. It's really not. It's really not. Um, so, so those are the um, those are the kind of polarities in it, and, and and it's really just about finding a kind of an architecture and an interplay between those elements. I'm gonna watch the opening scene if that's okay, because it's great.
in Aklakramarum Valley. It's so kind of regal and powerful, but it's so it's really tender as well. And at the end, particularly at that moment where you know she's mm. reconciled with her brother, kind of after a long time. Yeah. And yeah. there's so much kind of going on behind the scenes with it. It's sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a wonderful piece of storytelling, and uh, acting is incredible. Mm. Well, is that that's a great example of what you were saying earlier about how performance can really influence oh, yeah. you? And you were saying that that specific shot of of Sarsha on the yeah horse. When I found that a way to make that work, I felt like I'd basically written the whole movie just there. <laughs> you know, it's just like worked. You featured on the podcast quite a lot. We've had quite a lot of people who've talked about you, mm-hmm. um, all in very positive ways. <laughs> you'll be glad to know. Um, Joe Wright, who I always love catching up with, is is. Um, well, as you can see from this picture, it's always fun to hang out with. And when I spoke to him about Churchill, I was asking him, because he's, he's renowned for playing music on set. Yeah. Um, and that was the one thing I, I was asking him about here, which you'll hear in a second. But he was very quick to, to turn it around to talking about you. So hopefully we can have a listen to that right now. I played less music on this set than I have on previous ones, weirdly. I don't know why that was. But I was also still playing, you know, Richter. And I was so disappointed. I was devastated last year, though, when I saw Arrival, which I thought was a great film. And Denny's a wonderful director. And I saw that they'd used On Nature of Daylight by Max Richter at the beginning of Arrival. Why were you disappointed? Because I always wanted to use it. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. That's my track. You're not allowed to know. <laughs> I have a sense. Don't you get that though? A sense of ownership of music. Oh yeah, definitely. This is my track. Oh well, no, the, well with this podcast, I have a yeah. sense of ownership. With that, going no, 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 no one else is allowed to talk about music and film. No. It's my thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I feel the same way about if a, if a <laughs> filmmaker uses a piece of music that I love, I, I feel betrayed by that piece of music, and <laughs> yeah. I and I resent whoever's stolen it from me, and I see it see it as having a piece. Of, I see it as. As, as like they've stolen something from his theft. <laughs> because it speaks so directly to our hearts. It's a personal you know thing, I mean? It's a deeply personal love affair that you have with a piece of music, you know. It was the first thing, time you knew about it when you went to watch the film. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. It's like watching like someone cheat on you or something, yeah. isn't it? It's like, yeah. Oh, no, it is. It's <laughs> devastating. But I did an episode of Black Mirror I, recently. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. If yeah. there's a... and, and I got Max Richter to come and do the, the score for that, which was really exciting. Did you fanboy out at him? A bit, yeah. A bit. <laughs> and then, yeah, I did. But he was incredibly generous and, and, and kind. And I had a, a really great time working with him on that. Mm-hmm. It, that was more inspired by the Sleep album. Which yeah. hadn't come out when we last spoke. Have you have you heard? Yeah, Sleep? yeah, we've got it on all the time. It's yeah. amazing. I just play it kind of like as a constant sort of soundtrack it's to my companion. life at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it's just with me. Yeah, you know. yeah. Except for that bit where it goes. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I skip that one. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> He's so brilliant. He's so brilliant. But 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 had such has such connection to your music, mm. you know. So uh, and this is a, a lovely way to to be able to talk about the the brilliant work you've done in 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 the world of TV, be it. Black Mirror or with Taboo as well and um, and Gorilla as well which was uh, on Sky which was great which we spoke to um, Sarah Bridge the music okay. supervisor okay. from that as well who's awesome to chat to is. is it different working on a TV show than it is do you approach it different than you do with film um, well I mean in the case of Black Mirror it was just one episode yeah. so that's basically the same as working yeah. on a film um, with TV generally when it's episodic I mean, it's wonderful because you have more time with the characters and the situation. I mean, with The Leftovers, we did three seasons. 
It was wonderful just to be able to kind of rediscover parts of the, the sort of storytelling universe which was growing and, you know, explore it musically and, and um, evolve the material alongside the characters. I mean, that's incredibly satisfying, that kind of thing. It's a little bit like, you know, with a sculptor, it's all in that block of marble and you're chipping things away. And it feels a bit like that if you have time to kind of revisit things. Yeah. fun thing to work on because it's kind of hmm? I loved it it was, it was out there and mad yeah. and just you know it was crazy but yeah. it was such a I just think a kind of really brave piece of TV to be honest I hope this new series coming as well yeah I mean I always felt with Taboo is it's like it's like sort of the the most sort of grand grand opera you know it's like Tosca on acid you know <laughs> um, I just loved the fact that with Taboo you couldn't sort of go over the top enough mm -hmm. musically. So everything is just super sort of, you know, very... Um, it all operates at kind of fever pitch emotionally. Yeah, it was really fun. Joe, how was it? Did he fanboy out at you? Joe was <laughs> he's so easy, actually. Yeah, it was it was it was great. I mean, we we sat around and, and talked a lot about the the film. I wrote the score and I sent them the score and they were like, That's Wow. It's <laughs> like, okay, uh, isn't a you know, normally there's a bit of a kind of and they were just like, No, that's great, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so <laughs> very strange. So I kind of had a slight sense of unreality okay. about that. Fit in um, perfectly with Black Mirror. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. It was sort of a bit strange. Um, but no, he's he was um, he's he's very brilliant and very clever um, and a wonderful filmmaker. A great episode. Actually. Oh, it's a wonderful episode. Yeah. Have someone else talking about you, if that's okay. Thelma Schoonmaker talked about you as well with Shutter right. Island, and and this is us kind of talking about the way that because there are different ways that your music has been involved in in film, and that's you composing, but mm. also people using existing music of yours. Yeah. Um. And Denis Villeneuve is a is a great great example of that. But before we we hear from Denis, there's a, a really lovely um, story behind why you agreed to allow them to, to use it in Arrival. And it's it's this wonderful notion of, is it palindromic, is that the word? Yeah, there's a, there's a sort of a lot of, um, of, of reasons about, uh, about that, really. Um, I mean, when I, when I got the call uh, that, you know, they were interested in, in, in using uh, On the Nature of Daylight in, uh, in Arrival, I mean, my first thing was, you know, it's obviously wonderful, but I was also a bit disturbed because I knew that Johan was uh, writing the score. So that was kind of weird. Um, so I called him up, and we, we you know, talked about this. And uh, Johan or Denis? Uh, Johan. Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, I've been, he'd been doing a lot of kind of choral things and all kinds of, for this opening and closing sequence, and they had been temping it with On the Nature of Daylight. And somehow the music just stuck in, into the film, you know, and they were, they were sort of set on that idea. So he was actually very... Keen that I, I, I allow the license, you know, allow that to happen. So, so then I had a call with Denis and talked about, the, you know, what the film was and 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 why. Um, and um, uh, the film has a, you know, a strong sort of anti-war message, and it was about communication. And on the nature of daylight comes from a record of mine, the Blue Notebooks, which was written as a kind of protest album, really, uh, two thousand and three. 
2000, yeah, 2003, um, in the lead up to the Iraq war. You know, so it was about, yeah, it's a protest song in a way. So that was one of the things that made me think this, this could work. And, and the other thing is that the time structure of Arrival has this sort of symmetry, you know, sort of mysterious symmetry. And, and On the Nature of Daylight is, is quasi-palindromic. It's quite a nerdy piece of composition. It's not the same backwards as forwards, but it has this kind of spiral structure. Um, so I felt like there were, there were many reasons why it, it was a good fit. So, yeah. We've got um, a clip, hopefully, of Denis uh, explaining his connection with it and why he was mm. so adamant that this was what he needed for his mm. film. You mentioned Arrival. Yeah, I mean, the, the opening piece, you, you had me straight away. I was kind of, I felt like you were holding my heart in my hand for the rest of that film, just from that opening piece of music. It's, it yeah, really that's a, it's, just it's a, a beautiful it's, it's a specific piece that uh, uh, Joe Walker found uh, written by Max Richter and uh, at the time uh, I wanted uh, Yuan to uh, do something but we both agreed that uh, that what uh, Richter had done has a specific qualities and uh, instead of redoing it or trying to f say it's that the thing about 10 tracks is that uh, we had to use it at one point because we needed to, to look for a specific, a very, very, very delicate emotion. Yeah. And and uh, we felt that was the ultimate piece. And, and uh, uh, Johan totally agreed. And, and uh, I love this, the, the fact that he was generous uh, to yeah. let, let the piece live through the score. And, and he went on, on uh, doing the rest of the score that for me still today is a, a, a very powerful and yeah. unique soundtrack. that that song taps into though is is incredible it's kind of indescribable really there's just something about it that it kind of gets to the core of your soul almost in a way well I think it probably that comes from its its origins you know I mean a week before we recorded it we were all on the anti you know the big anti-war march and uh, there was a feeling of uh, politics moving into this kind of sphere of unreality and unaccountability mm. um, and that felt new at the time I mean of course you know here we are <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I you know I want I wanted to make a piece which had this sort of this kind of alchemical quality of you know th this idea of sort of transforming sort of dark things into brighter things that's what I was trying to tap into mm. what's next ah um, well, I'm. What am I doing, actually? <laughs> I'm. I, I. I'm working on a an album project. Right. Um, and as far as movies concerned, I've just finished a film called Ad Astra, 
which is a James Gray um, and Brad Pitt project. Yeah. Um, a very kind of ideasy sci-fi. So it's a kind of sci-fi for people who like 2001. Great. Um, which I do, so it's perfect <laughs> for me. So, yeah, a really lovely, lovely film, actually. I loved his Lost City of Z. He, it was He's great. great. James film. is great. Yeah, mm. really, really great filmmaker. Um, I thought we would finish by playing that scene. It must be wonderful as well to see your music take different, you know, have, have, kind of have different lives as well yeah. in the way that filmmakers yeah. can use it, be it, you know, Scorsese and Shutter Island or, or Denis and Arrival and the various other films and tracks have been used elsewhere as well yeah the writing is really you know making a piece is only kind of the beginning in a way yeah you know because you're when you're writing something you're really asking a question a sort of what if you know here's a proposition here is something I've made I think it's this you know but these kinds of situations where other people start interacting with it and people hear it and they tell you things and I mean I think that's it's incredibly satisfying to kind of discover um, the connections that other people make to the material. Yeah, I'm going to play this. I might cry. I'm just going to say. H A N N A H. start to finish would you change things maybe I'd say what I feel more often I, I don't know I've had my head tilted up to the stars for as long as I can remember. You know what surprised me the most? It wasn't meeting them. It was meeting you. Oh, man. <laughs> I think one of the most perfect opening and endings to a film. Yeah, it is. It's good, isn't it? And so much that's down at your music. Um, thank you so, so much for being here and for your time and giving it up. And thank you for being here as well to sit and hear me talk to Max, um, the fabulous Max Richter. Thank you so much, thank sir. You. Thank you very much, everybody. Safe journey home. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Just to wind Joe right up, that's the ah, ah, ah from sleep. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the genius that is Max Richter. My huge thanks to Max for taking the time to join us at the BFI and to all of the staff there and every one of you who joined us. We'll keep you posted about forthcoming live events there and elsewhere. If you head to edithbowman.com, you can find links to all of our previous episodes, including my chats with Joe, Jan Demange, Denevo Nerve. My website is also the place to find dedicated Spotify playlists for every show and subscribe to the podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. Please do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Coming up in the next couple of weeks, we have Killian Murphy and director Anthony Byrne from the new Peaky Blinders series and none other than Quentin Tarantino. Next week, we are celebrating being three years old. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.